0: Rollandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
1: Hello and welcome to Rugby Jubbly. There you go. Hal Crotten here and Dan Skinny Skinner. Hello mate.
2: See, isn't that nice the way that's That's good because you sound like a voiceover artist then.
1: Yes, I (laughs) should be getting more voiceover (laughs) work,
2: Dan. (laughs) 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 <laughs> anyway, how? Tell me, uh, how did Saracens do this week? <laughs> Saracens
1: absolutely ripped
2: it. It wasn't
1: as complete as Wales beating Italy. It was 45 13. Jersey went 3 0 ahead, mm. and then Saracens scored a lovely try. Basically, my analysis of the championship is Saracens in the backs are much better than the other teams. They just have better back moves. They have better construct their defenses. But I just think that it's all about the pack and the set piece. And then the championship, the set piece is a nightmare. Yeah, There was a scrum 14 minutes in where Saracens were totally destroyed. But then at about 25 minutes, the scrum, like, it was like it tightened. It was solid. Every scrum was fine. And you played to a top level, Dan. How can a team go from being destroyed in the scrum to suddenly something clicks?
2: It's all about technique, isn't it? It all starts with the props. So it's identifying what's going on Mm. and then just, you know, correcting that. It might only be something absolutely tiny. Where you're standing, how you're standing, yeah. you know, correct your footwork and then bang, the whole thing shores up and you're okay. So
1: that's our Sarri's bit that nobody really wants Good. to listen to and John's going to cut out. Good. The
2: Saracens podcast.
1: I know how the rugby world is fascinated in how Saracens are surviving. A lot of people care about that. But I think Saracens are interesting because if you want to know why England played so badly... At the beginning of this Six Nations, it's because their Saracens players in key positions hadn't had a lot of match practice. Right, that is very true. And Premiership Rugby, you did that. You decided to do that and stuff it. And I'm pleased that they were rubbish and I'm pleased that you lost. What international game should we start with? Well, we'll start
2: with the first one, should we?
1: Italy-Wales. Italy versus Wales. I believe Italy did play badly. This was a really poor performance. They were like what
2: 27-0 down at half time, something like that. 27 minutes they were 27-0 down. I was keeping an eye on the uh, the, the score versus the minute clock. Wales looked good, though. Wales were playing very well. Wales were good, yeah. They did everything they needed to do against under-10 opposition,
1: you know? They did play very well. And they actually, at the one time that they eased off, because they sort of got bored with it. It was so easy for Wales. They were just (laughs) slicing through them. And they got I mean, there was one try. Hmm. I mean, again, this is me thinking I know stuff about rugby, but this shouldn't happen from a scrum. And this is why everything to me is about Italian defence and their appalling defence. Just a scrum, a set piece. They just gave it along the line. They didn't do any quirky French stuff for that brilliant try against England. They just gave it along the line and the winger scored. And that shouldn't really happen in international rugby. You
2: should be pushed right up and have to do something. Also, the Italian attack. I mean, they said this in commentary. I was watching it and going, that is really, they're never going to get anywhere like this. Like they're standing so deep as a line that by the time they took the ball, they were behind the gain line. There was no chance of getting over the gain line. To me, they looked really shot this week, Italy. Well, you just think this might be a tactic. If they're going to kick, then you might want to stand a bit deeper. But they're they're taking the ball and trying to run it and not get anywhere. But I don't know. And then their defence is rubbish. But
1: when they do defend, then they give away penalties. They gave away so many penalties. They had two yellow cards. They're knackered. They're knackered. This one time when Wales backed off, which admittedly, is still unforgivable they started playing when they were 34-0 down. But that was when Wales looked like they took their foot off the gas. And then that's when Marco Riccioni gets a yellow card for going in leading with his arm. This was the week I lost my cool with Italy.
2: You said they're a young side. They're going to develop. Yeah. You know, they've got a lot of lovely, wonderful young players. And, you know, they're just a couple of moments from coming good. New tactic.
1: Franco Smith resigns or gets kicked out. Sean Edwards not just defence coach, he becomes the coach. Sean Edwards has said before, and I think there was a problem with him leaving Wales that he might have been wanting to be considered as number one coach, as head coach. Yes. Sean Edwards wants a head coach job. I was just checking on it. He wants a head coach job. That's what Italy should do. You get Sean Edwards in and you make them a brutal defensive team.
2: Can you imagine what it must be like to be an Italian international rugby fan? Why an armchair rugby fan? The ratings for international rugby in Italy must be abysmal. I mean, who would sit down and watch that? Who would want? Who on a tune in and go right? Here we go. This could be the one. This could be the game be within five minutes. Yeah, but imagine when they do. Yeah, but you can't. But like... that's the thing. It's all that defeat. Imagine
1: when they do win. Imagine to be there when they suddenly get I someone scalp. Imagine being there when one day Italy are going to beat England in Rome.
2: There is no chance. I can't see that ever happening. I'd love to talk to an Italian rugby fan to ask them what motivates them to keep coming back to watching the team because you must know that other than a really, well, fun day out at the stadium, sitting down to watch a game of rugby in an Italian bar must be a dismal experience. I feel very sorry for the Italian rugby players. I feel very sorry for the Italian fans. Can you think of another competition in the world where there are five world-class teams and one under-10s team. And every time you play this one team, you go, oh, wicked, week off. We're just going to smash this lot and then get back to the Six Nations, you know, get back to the competition yeah, the still... next week. But honestly, though, there isn't another competition in the world like that, where there's one team that just gets whipped mercilessly every time. We used to watch Ski Sunday.
1: You'd watch all these Italians, Austrians, you know, Americans, Germans coming down the mountain fast. You'd still stay and watch the British skier go, oh, well, he's going to come 35th. But it's lovely. Oh, look, it's a British skier. Oh, look at his Union Jack on his helmet. Isn't it fun watching him ski? It's not really our thing. That's
2: fine, because that's one minute 45 seconds coming down a hill. It's not 80 minutes of, like, torture. It's been a particularly bad year for Italy,
1: hasn't it? It has been a particularly bad one with the result. It's been a particularly bad few years. Yeah. I just think they've lost a bit of heart
2: at the moment. That's what I mean. It must be absolutely crushing for their self-esteem and their self-belief and their motivation. It must be. You watch the coaches in the stand when they're just, like, they're in court and they know they're (laughs) they're losing, you know? They're watching their defence lawyer just, you know, get destroyed. It's just, it's really, I don't know... What do you say to the team after that? What do you say in the changing room? Well, lads, it's always next week. Don't worry. I mean, it is like a film.
1: The thing is that next week they are going to play Scotland, who are going to be incredibly down because they've kind of messed up their chance this year. Hmm. They've got some injury problems, the Scots, so it might be closer. Closer. And they're probably going to play a week inside... They might only get beaten by 15, 20 points. I know I said that about Wales, that Wales were going to take their foot off the gas this week. I don't know. There might be a chance against Scotland. Scotland will be very dispirited after losing the game to Ireland. So I think if I was Italy, yeah, I'd be going... would be absolutely up for smashing Italy. That's,
2: that's the, it's, like, it's the one thing they'd be going... Great, we've lost all these games, but at least we've got Italy. And I do actually genuinely feel guilty about being so unkind about Italy. And I just, I'm not angry. I, I just feel sorry for them. I just think it's a really strange thing that they're, they're in this sort of competition with world-class sides, and they are not. And they're not. They're, they're nowhere near. They're nowhere near. Do you think it's
1: ridiculous to keep them in and give them a 20-point start in every game at the moment? What oh,
2: a handicap system.
1: A handicap system. We're going, because the thing is, we don't want to have a weekend where one team has a weekend off and everybody else is playing. I had another theory, get rid of Italy and get rid of Wales. So Italy... <laughs> yes, John. John, yeah. our producer's angry. No, Italy Italy go because they're not good enough. Wales go because they are so annoying. <laughs> they're so annoying the way they keep yeah, managing annoying. to win. They are good and they... are frustrating. I just find Wales the most annoying rugby team to play against because you just as I said, you don't know how you've got beaten, but you always get beaten. And it's not luck. It is I don't know, there's something about it's them. they character. It's character. I want them out the Six Nations.
2: <laughs> yeah, they should be they should be thrown out of the Six Nations. Scotland can go because of their inconsistency. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I've just realized that Wales are annoying
2: me as a rugby team. Yeah.
1: But I think you want to keep it at six. Italy are here to stay. There's no point in keeping saying they should go. Or we give them a 20-point start.
2: I'm not saying they should go. I'm just saying it would be nice for Italy, and I genuinely mean this, if they were in a competition where they had a chance of developing and winning some games. Anyway. Anyway. Wales
1: are just growing in confidence every week, though. Wales were very, very good. Yeah. they just click and everything worked. Wayne Pivak is owed a few apologies, no? Especially from people like you. No, but you also look at it and go, Wales is just a matter of... A few players. They got Josh Navidi back. They got Ken Owens back. Yeah,
2: excellent
3: player.
1: Lewis Louis Samet started playing like a superstar. Literally, you get three or four players back or firing. But that's the same as England, though, no? Yeah, I suppose so. Well, no, England... But that's international rugby. It wasn't firing. England didn't change personnel that much. England just got fit or got match fit somehow.
2: England have a number of world-class players, proven world-class players, who were short of match fitness or confidence. You don't just chuck them out of the team Mm. and gamble with a load of players that have never played international rugby before, just because we're losing a couple of games.
1: That's why it's very good I'm not
2: any sort of international coach because... I should be an international (laughs) coach. I think I could do the catering and I'd (laughs) certainly have a few, like tidbits bits and things, just nuggets of, have you thought of this, Eddie? Like, one, he's well understanding yeah. he's ex. You know?
1: But do you know what I'd want to do if I was an international coach? I'd get much more spiky about the criticism. I mean, Eddie Jones does get a bit spiky, but I would go, oh, you want that? You want Sam Simmons in? You want Jones? Okay, I'll do that. And I'd do it. Put him in. And go, right, off you go. Put him in. You are the team picked by the people who write comments under newspaper articles. <laughs> Let's see how you go. Off you go. I'd put a team out wanting them to be smashed so I could go, thank you. Can we do it yeah. my way? You know,
2: Thank you very much. Yeah. But I was reading Robert Kitson in The Guardian. Mm. You know, and he says things like, England finally decided the light bulb moment has occurred and all this. As if that happens. Yeah. As if a light bulb moment occurs and you go, Oh, we should play like this. No, you just get better, you get more precise and you do things faster and you get more confident. And that's how that's evolution. It's not like Oh, right. Oh, you meant that. Oh, okay? Can I just
1: say, though, our predictions on this, I predicted England would get mashed, I think. Oh, yeah. I I predicted England would tighten up, play a real kicking territory game, because if they played the way they played, France would beat them at that game. They did almost everything opposite to what I predicted, which is kind of a weird way. In a way, it was almost deliberate. It was almost so opposite.
2: Well, they were listening to you, Howe, and they said, well, no, let's not do what Howe says. Let's play the way we want to play. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, imagine if that was true. <laughs> they listen to it us. It's so funny. Let's just show them what idiots they are. They're all sitting and listening to the podcast in the changing room just before the game, guys. Guys, let's change the tactics. What's so frustrating
1: is we make predictions, but why does a team suddenly go "ooh"? And why does everybody suddenly fire so well? Or maybe it's just a few people fire so well. And so, you know. Believe in a polar, I think, had played well against Wales and was back to being brilliant. Yeah, Ben Youngs. Lo- Do you see that when Ben Youngs made a little break? He, he really did. He took him on, didn't he? And literally, there was a moment where somebody had gone the other side or a flanker had gone over or something, and you
2: had to see it at that moment, he says, oh, there's a gap, and he goes. Yeah. Just the way they see the game is unbelievable. And yet, a couple of weeks ago, they were just calling for his head and Owen Farrell's, and it's just ridiculous. Tom Curry. Tom Curry. Yeah. I mean, he's been consistently good, but he is a nailed online in a very competitive back row. He He's brilliant. Yeah. Tom or Ben, we don't know. We don't know whether Ben played. Well, yeah, whichever Curry turned out on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't see him playing for sale much at the moment, do you, Ben Curry? Yes. Yes.
1: Maybe they're swapping at half-time. Literally, you're getting a fresh player. Yeah. (gasps) Oh, my God, could we get sued for that?
2: I don't think so. (laughs) Could we get sued for claiming a twin? It's a conspiracy theory on the internet. I don't think people take (laughs) it seriously. Anthony Watson had his best game for a long time. Yeah, and did you notice... Is that because Max Malians was there?
1: I don't know if it... Maybe, but Elliot Daly came on and did some good stuff. Yeah, he played very well. Elliot Daly came on and added real punch, but there was a tiring French team. Yeah, but he was precise. The two French tries were brilliant, Yes, I thought. First one was just, oh my God. Did
2: you panic, you know, when it was like two minutes in and France scored we go, oh no. Were you like that? Because I wasn't.
1: Well, no, I only didn't panic because I was so settled on us losing quite badly that I went, "Well, I was right." I'm such an emotional coward about rugby and predict what I'm doing is I'm going because I know I'm going to be right if they lose. I'm sort of, I was sort of going, "Well, that's quite typical." I did sort of go, "Well, that's quite typical." They're going to run through us. What I was impressed by was England didn't panic at all because no. our try after that at about was it about 10 minutes when Anthony Watson scored. Yeah. That was a brilliant try. That was so controlled. That was
2: so well put together. Yeah, it was. Not only was it a great try, it was a great build-up with like phase after phase after phase of brilliant, like keeping hold of the ball, chucking it wide, keeping it tight, breaking out the middle. We like puppets, yeah. puppet masters, like putting them all over the pitch. And you thought, oh, good, good, we're back, we're back. And it was such a sort of nerve settler.
1: Brilliant. What's lovely about England beating France is we've beaten a team and this is why it felt like being a Welsh fan We've beaten a team who, man for man, are probably a better team than us. Mm. Probably better players. You look at that French team and they are so quite, and they are sublime in their backs. Their backs are better than ours and the forwards are evenly matched, I'd say. I'd say maybe we've edged it in the pack. But it's great to win a game that you kind of on paper think France should have won that. I
2: think they were two very evenly matched sides, actually. And I Mm. think England on their day are equal to France. France France have always had superb backs Mm. and they've always glided through and what have you. But the whole thing has to click, doesn't it? And that's what England did on Saturday. You know, they really started... And their attack looked really, really good. I mean, France are always going to have moments in the game where you watch them do something and go, that's just... Yeah. Only France can do that.
1: Do you think France are going to carry on against Smash Wales next week? I don't think... I think it's going to be close.
2: That's good. It's it's great because it's the end of the Six Nations and I don't know who will win that game. Yeah. I've got no idea because Wales look good. And France look good. So who knows? And England-Ireland's going to be another
1: one like this England-France game, I think, where two teams up. But let's talk about Ireland-Scotland just quickly before we do that. Well, another team I'm angry with, of course, is Scotland.
2: Scotland, yes. And I think
1: with good reason. This is... I was thinking this, and I said it to a friend as well. They will remember this as a golden generation that is being wasted Mm. if they don't do anything with them. Do you know what I mean? They've got more world-class players at the moment, Scotland, than they've had for ages. And they're just... Their discipline was awful.
2: They're just not winning. Their discipline, they're giving away points. They go
1: 24-10 down, get back to 24-all, then give away a silly penalty Mm. for Ireland to win 27-24. It's just, I don't know what it is. I hate rugby fans being angry, but I almost feel like Scottish fans need to be angrier and more vocal and more like the English and Welsh would be about this Scotland side not performing. They should be
2: more online. Oh, my God. I mean, it's really bizarre that they've won at Twickenham and they've lost twice to the big sides. At Murrayfield. Yeah. They lost to Wales at Murrayfield and Ireland at Murrayfield. I mean, that's... And they shouldn't have lost either of those games.
1: Exactly. You know, they'd said it before the game that Scottish discipline against Wales let them down. Well, discipline here let them down. I tell you what, Van der Merver was outplayed by Keith Earls, our favourite old-timer in rugby. <laughs> Keith Earls just seemed like he controlled. He just... Van der Merver did yeah. nothing, just looked hassled and harassed. That's the thing. Whenever you harass any great player... as Going back to the England-France game, Dupont made mistakes when he was put under pressure.
2: Yeah, that's exactly... Put them out of their comfort zone. This is exactly what um, Scotland did to England in the first game. Yeah. Put them under loads of pressure. And I think Scotland probably felt under loads of pressure against Ireland. They probably thought, we've got to win this game. Yeah. When you start having to chase the Six Nations, it's really hard because you put far too much pressure on yourself and then the game is no longer enjoyable. The only thing you're worried about is winning. We've got to win. We've got to win. And, of course... You, you tighten up. Yeah. You tighten up, you can't play. Yeah, even Finn Russell. Finn Russell
1: had a kick to touch for a penalty and put it dead.
2: I know, I know, exactly. He tried, he did a Billy
1: Burns. Honestly, I just... Johnny Sexton is bang on form, in my opinion. Mm. 35 or whatever he is. That
2: last kick, because oh. it started left of the post, so I thought, oh, he's he's missed, he's yeah. pulled it up, and then he faded it in. Mm.
1: Very, very good. There isn't a better Irish fly half than him at the moment. He will have to play till no. he's about 40. Exactly. I think James Lowe, their winger, is dodgy in defence, the Irish winger, something for Watson to look out for. This is, <laughs> See, I like to say things and then go, pick this up. Go on, put it back in next week if <laughs> Watson goes past him or doesn't, because I'll go, I just think James Lowe tweet is him. A... Tweet him, tweet <laughs> yeah. him. Anthony, Anthony. Anthony, Anthony, James Lowe. Do he's he's a, on that wing, isn't he? I thought it was the worst thing in the world to be an England rugby fan (laughs) because nobody likes us and we underperform and then we get to finals and lose them and stuff like that. I think it's worse. I think being a Scottish fan is the worst thing in rugby. I think so. At the moment, certainly. I would like to hear from Scottish rugby fans saying, aren't you furious? Deep down, Scotland don't really believe they're good enough. Yeah. And that's why they don't get through these games. We've had a good chat about Italy. Let's get back to our chat about the man who made the film about the teams that could take Italy's... It would be quite nice if they replaced Italy in the Six Nations. It's our special interview with Dan Leo about his movie Oceans Apart and about Pacific Rugby. Let's get
2: back to that interview. And this is part two of that interview, so if you want to listen to part one, you'll have to listen to uh, the podcast last week.
1: and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. The potential is just so massive, because mm. I always think about when I first came across or noticed Samoan Rugby was that 1991 World Cup, and I was a student. And Western Samoa beat Wales, Do you know what I mean? and then they went on, and I think they were the quarter finalists. And I'm in a pub in Swiss Cottage, and Samoan fans are in the corner singing Samoan song, and it was just going, "This is amazing!" Yeah. It would just be so wonderful. If there was that festival of rugby; you had proper, yeah, you had teams making it regularly out of the group stages, you know, and going to semi-finals and finals. It just, it just spreads the sort of, um, it just spreads the love. I think. Can
2: you imagine if a World Cup was held in the Pacific Islands. Oh. Can you imagine? Absolutely amazing.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Love to see it one a year. Wow.
2: (laughs) With the quite small stadiums, it would
1: be about half a million for a ticket, wouldn't it? (laughs) Because there's there's only like 10,000 seaters and stuff. You'd feel so special to be a fan. You'd just be the most loaded fans. Sorry, I just realised with this film, is there a chance of a follow-up film? Because it was sort of left with... Bill Beaumont said he's going to be looking at eligibility laws and governance and tier structure of the game. Has has anything happened? Well, that's, Was that just to keep you happy that he said that?
3: That's all we're wondering. Um, you know, it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. A lot of the requests that we made of tier one nations in terms of that consideration of a gate share those discussions really you know uh, COVID came along sort of midway of making this film and all of a sudden you know the excuses were you know uh, were there not to mm. not to consider this for at least another probably five or ten years mm. but yeah I'd love to do a follow up but I'd like to go a little bit more in depth and actually highlight a few more of the positives uh, that are in Pacific Island Rugby because there is a huge a lot you know there's some great work being done and it's there's some actually some great work being done by you know by World Rugby in the Pacific Islands and I must have to give them credit here because um, we you know and it was something that we we didn't get into too much um, in the in the film itself, but there is actually some some great work being done there, and I'd like to give, give a bit more of a balance and a follow up, but also hopefully you know. Actually, push them to account for some of the sort of solutions as well. So I don't think we could do it straight away because not enough's changed. But maybe in uh, sort of five or ten years' time, maybe we revisit it and uh, mm. yeah, bring our notions apart too. And hopefully, um, you know, some of these things have changed.
1: Well, that was the thing, wasn't it? World rugby. You're saying you know, the real powers didn't talk to you in this film. The RFU didn't. The French Rugby Union didn't, did they? The big powers that could actually really change things. No,
3: I don't know how how. Uh, um, at liberty I am to say about these sorts of things. I think we signed non-disclosure stuff in there, but I'm just going to say it anyway, because he's moved on now. Brett Gosper, the CEO of World Rugby, oh, yeah. two weeks after the film was released, he resigned from the position. I think he's working for the NFL now. Wow. Yes, yeah, so I'm pretty sure anything that he signed is void now, so I'm just going to say it. But he actually yeah. did the interview off his own back. It wasn't approved by World mm. Rugby. Um, I just emailed him personally and just said, look, I really need to talk to you. Would you do this? He came back, no, 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 no and then the Nations League proposal happened where they tried to you know make that uh, 10 team oh, yes. 10 or 12 team competition and he thought that on Twitter he started engaging with me saying that oh you've got the wrong end of the stick actually we've proposed this to actually help the Pacific Island Nations and the tier 2 nations and I'd love to talk to you about that so if you need to bring your cameras bring them in so uh he was under the uh, the uh thought that we were going to be talking about that and I just asked him one question on that and then just rolled out the rest of my questions that we had in line of all of the other stuff for Oceans Apart but um, yeah that was that was interesting the um the facts, the proximity of him moving on afterwards uh, so quickly. Actually, one of the positives to come out of the film is that the new CEO, who's a, an interim CEO, but I'm hoping, well, it looks like he might be um, heading into the role full-time, has actually been on a, um, he's a South African guy. He's been in touch with me and has been a lot more positive to some of the um, suggestions and the dialogue that we want to and need to have with him. That's brilliant. So hopefully there's scope there for improvement on the situation. Yeah, I mean, you
2: sacrificed your career to do this, essentially, Dan, didn't
3: you? Uh I didn't know the time. I mean, um, <laughs> I didn't know the time it was going to be for this. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, there was a few of us, and and that's the nature, you know. Um, we were at the end of our careers. I was at the end of my career, and I think every player wants to leave, you know, the jersey that they wear in a better position than when you first put it on. Mm. I and mean, that was my way to do it. I wasn't the you know the best uh, player, the most well-known player by a long shot, but I felt that um. You know, the the way that I could best serve the players in my team was really to talk about some of the the issues um, that are pretty difficult in our Pacific Island cultures and speaking up against authority and confronting corruption. It's just never really spoken about. It's always just slipped under the carpet. And that's probably the major reason why um, we are in the position that we are. Yeah. Because it's very difficult to go to other organizations and other unions and ask them for a fair share or for more when... You know, um, in the past, we haven't been faithful with the, the little that we've, that we've had. Um, and they've always got that, you know, that's always going to be the elephant in the room, isn't it? You know, people are always going to say, well, how can we give Samoa more money when you keep throwing it away when, you know, you can't look after it? So that's a big, big question that we need to yeah. answer and we need to continue doing that. Hopefully by, you know, um, myself and, and I wasn't in uh, isolation doing that. It was, you know, four or five of us. And I really took courage from the other guys who did that. And really it's come cultural for us to do that, to step out and, and speak against authority and, and our elders yeah. in our culture. So, yeah, um, hopefully it sets an example, you know, because the power is now with the guys that you, you mentioned, you know, the, the Nathan Hughes of this world, you know, the Chris Bowies. These are the guys who, you know, because you have all, you ultimately, the only power you have as, as a player is and the only leverage you have is, not to play and you know hopefully we never have to see that happen but you know um they've got a voice while they're current so hopefully we've inspired them to you know to really push forward yeah Um, there's only so much i can do as an armchair critic from my bedroom here and on the gold coast but um those guys that are in the media you know and in the public uh, eye week in week out they've got a real voice we need those guys to be empowered and uh, confident to to really keep pushing and um you know carrying the torch forward
1: there was a moment when you were going to strike and not play because the Samoan Rugby Union had, yeah. hadn't paid you for the tour. You see, it's certain facts, though, about it. When you're sitting talking to James Haskell and telling him an England players getting 22 grand and you're, I think, getting like 400 quid for the same game or something and him not knowing, that's so shocking, isn't it? It's 80 quid a game. You no, know, but that, I think for that game or something and, and the Tonga players touring for $400 or something for three or four games or something. I can't remember what the figures were now. I should have written them all down. <laughs> but it is, you know, I, people just aren't aware of that. And I think it's so, it'll never be forgotten. The people who've seen this film will never forget it every time they see England playing Tonga or Samoa or Fiji. It's true. What those differentials are. Yeah. It just gets in your head, this film. Watching Premiership Rugby this weekend and you see a player from the Pacific Islands and go, oh, you know, it just, it just reminds you that basically a part of the world's being exploited. Yeah. But yeah, but you're right also with, it has to clear up its own corruption as well. Yep. But the Prime Minister of Samoa, has he actually been in contact since the film?
3: No. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, yeah, I've, I've been contacted by, uh, by every union except for Samoa, so it sort of probably shows that the, the level of frustration they probably have with me at the moment.
2: Just to understand that situation in Samoa, are they being handed money by other unions and basically not distributing it where it should be distributed? Is that what's happening?
3: Um, it's difficult. It comes from World Rugby, from the World Rugby Pot, and that's generated from Rugby World Cup. So I think 90% or almost all of World Rugby's money comes from World Cups. And then they distribute that down to the uh, to, to the nations, and again, it's staggered. So the the higher you're ranked, the more money you get in a World Cup. Right. Yeah. So we're always down the bottom of that pot, but you know, it's a decent amount of money because you know, for a small small nation, you know, I, I think it's about uh, in the vicinity of about two hundred thirty thousand pounds a year, which goes a long way. In a place like Samoa, uh, or should do. But yeah, to go back to what Hal was saying, you know, it came on our radar because we noticed as players that we were getting a match fee of about, yeah, it was about 400 pounds per game. But that had been the same since 1991. And this was now 2015. So it was uh, 25 years later. So with inflation and everything else, you know, that, that had basically halved. So the guys that were playing in 91 were getting more than us by about double. And that was what sort of got us asking questions. So we asked to see the accounts of where this money was going, similar to what you just asked, Dan and they weren't forthcoming. And sort of time rolled on. We didn't have any evidence. We just, we just didn't, as players, we just didn't have any assurances. And then uh, two years uh, later on, and this is just before the 2015 World Cup, one of the accountants got sacked and he felt it was unfairly. And he provided us with all the all the financial statements for the last four years, right. Rugby World Cup cycle. And within that, it was just, yeah, dreadful. And we sort of showed a little few of the highlights in that. But, you know, we're talking about a million, about a million uh, tala, which is 500,000, uh, you know, 600,000 pounds uh, gone. Just like that. No one knows where it was. And we've seen that as well. You know, I've done fundraisers with the team and got up to dance. They got we used to get us up the busk uh in front of our, our people and, and and our and our supporters would come and fill these uh buckets full of cash in front of us that were dancing, and these buckets would just go to a van, uh a, you know, a white van uh outside the uh the, the venue and the van and drive off and you just never see it again. You never knew how much was raised. <laughs> maybe they drove it off and maybe it did somehow filter down to grassroots rugby. You, you never know, but there's just no account there Mm. and that was the real issue and that's still still the issue now is that um you know we need world rugby to hold these not transparent exactly to be transparent with the money because as i said they could have used it for the right things but no one will ever know because you just don't know where it's gone and um yeah so that's that's the difficulty yeah
1: it is amazing the, the the wealth disparity when you i think the thing in the film when you show the tongan rugby headquarters and it's like it's a little Tight, sort of three-room plate or it looked really tiny. It's that disparity. It's, it's it's just that thing. It's just amazing how well Pacific rugby does on so little. Yeah. I don't know if you even know this, Dan. I was just thinking about this going, is there any other sport like this where one part of the world is producing so many players and everybody else is sort of exploiting them? I, I can't think of it in terms of, I was thinking like, in terms of like, like cricket and things that you have increasing number of Indian players in the England team, but that's not because they've come over to play cricket. They've come over with their families and, you know, their second generation or whatever.
2: It's usually because a player that would normally play for their national team can't get into their own national team and they go abroad like someone like Kevin Peterson can't get into the South African team, so he goes and plays for England. That's usually what I can't think of any any other sport where a whole nation of players is just being. <laughs> taken out of their
3: nation and just yeah. you know mm. I have been contacted recently by someone that watched the film and he said oh, I'm, I'm Ghanaian and uh, the story reminds me a lot of football with the Eastern uh, Africans oh yeah mm. there was possibly one similarity I don't know um, terribly much about football um, you guys uh, might be able to educate me
1: there's certainly a lot of I've speaking speak to a football coach once a lot but, but because clubs are so strong in football and that's so important you can still play for Ghana and be you know on the books at Chelsea as a kid or whatever yeah. there's a lot of you know I, I remember some rugby coach saying you know so many African kids you know can come to play for English clubs and grow up in the English system and they're incredibly driven apparently he said the kids have the best attitude but in football it doesn't take them away from their country if they want to go back and play for Nigeria or Ghana or whatever because the clubs are so strong but that's always my argument in rugby as well the clubs need to get stronger but then international rugby but it still means don't. like
2: Ghana doesn't have a a national league that's you know, that's any good. So people aren't going to go and play. That's true, but they've still got a fairly decent team. Yeah, they might have a decent international side, but they won't have a domestic league because all the players are just being taken and put somewhere else. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) We're starting another argument. Well,
3: that's probably a good point on the Pacific Islands is this lack of a professional pathway. Mm. You know, um, we Mm. need to have professional sides at the very least, you know, one based in Fiji, which is the biggest and definitely capable of being able to, you know, host super rugby level games.
2: But I mean, even if one of these sides got an opportunity to play in like the rugby championship or Six Nations... I mean, that would make a massive difference, wouldn't it? Surely.
3: It would, yeah. And that's that's also I was so gutted as well to to see Fiji miss out on uh, playing most of their fixtures in the Autumn Nations Cup because it was such a great opportunity. First time, I think, uh, in history that a Pacific Island side has been invited into that sort of competition. Mm. Yeah, it was just such a shame because I think they would have actually done really well. Mm in it as well you know they're on form they've got yeah. some of the world's best uh, players in that side at the moment and it was just a real shame that they were robbed of that of that opportunity but traditionally we, we only get to see the best of the pacific islands uh, in world cups which is every four years and yeah we need mm-hmm. we need um greater opportunities i mean this is something that you guys have probably spoken about at length but you know this closed shop approach of the top nations championships the six nations and and the rugby championship i know they have opened up to argentina but um, that was, you know, that was a while ago. And Argentina's a different, well, when they were a Tier 2 nation, they were very different because, um, you know, there was a, a lot of um, market potential there. Yeah. And still is in Argentina. But it's worked for
2: Argentina though, Dan. Yeah. It's, in terms of their rugby, like, it's worked for Argentina. They, they really stepped up. You know, in a way that unfortunately it doesn't seem to work for Italy. I knew months. you were going to bring up Italy. Now, okay? <laughs> I it can't so. help it. We did, we did. Yes, but you we can do. have Fiji. You can have Fiji playing in the Six Nations. We did have this amazing. thing that
1: we should swap Fiji, and then it would be an excuse to leave home for a yeah. couple, for a week and go. I have to go to Fiji to watch rugby. It's really important. And
2: Fiji um, could be based somewhere. <laughs>
3: <laughs> You're exactly it's right. It's such there. a good I, idea. I played in the last match between Samoa and and Argentina. It was in uh, Buenos Aires, and uh, we actually beat them there. That was in 2005. God. You know, we're, yeah. well, we're talking 15 years ago now, 15, 60, but, uh, you know, the they were to play today, there'd be a gap of 50, 50 or 60 points, you know, and that's how far they've gone, and it's only through increased competition. So at the very least, as I said, you know, it's, it's a bit of a stretch for Samoa and Tonga because we're such small nations. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're, you know, but for Fiji, you know, they've got to be knocking on, on the door pretty seriously in terms of some of those bigger competitions. Mm. Look at Georgia. They've faded a bit now, but, you know, five or six years ago, they were, yeah. you know, they, they were knocking yeah and we you know, know. We know yeah it's the same i mean i'm a I'm a big fan, yeah, and of it's
2: it. like it's an elephant in the room all the time, isn't it, because like the next side I think that's probably going to get world recognition and get more opportunities thrown their way is Japan, and uh, you know they all right they they they're getting somewhere, but they're not who have quite a lot of Tongans guns and Samoans. <laughs> yeah and they're, but they're not, but they're not. You know, it's like Samoa, Fiji. Everybody knows that these sides produce the best rugby players in the world. Everybody knows it. And they don't get any opportunities to play in sort of, you know, regular world competitions or regular international
3: competitions. And it just, it does, you know, it does feel scandalous. Our problems are with such small countries, very little opportunities to make money off us. And we're so far away. So that combination is a bit of a killer. But what you guys touched on earlier, you know, we provide such great players, you know, and there's so much goodwill for us out there in the rugby community. I think those two trump the problems. Mm. So it's just about making it happen. And, you know, we could crowdfund a side or crowdfund crowdfund (laughs) a competition or something. We've got to think outside the box um, in terms of um, the way that we're, you know, the, the game's funding. Because... Ultimately, and also ask ask ourselves questions. You know, is is rugby about making as much money as 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 possible? Is the RFU job to is, uh, you know to run a business and make as much money as they can, or is it about some of those other things? You know, those other you know the values that we spoke about right mm. back at the start. Um, I like to think it's um, you know you can do both. Mm. Mm. But if we lose sight of those values, geez, no one will, no one will want to play rugby. You know, I think we just promote those values. We treat the small countries that already play rugby better. And other countries will look at, at the sport and go, gee, that's a great sport. We want to play that because look how they look after the, you know, the, the team, the, you yeah. know, the, the have-nots. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that'll be a, the best um, the best advertisement for the game that we could we could ever have. Preach, Dan. That was fantastic. <laughs> yeah.
1: And you should, just to say one more time, if you haven't seen it, please watch Oceans Apart, Greed Betrayal of Pacific Rugby open your eyes. And, and
2: You're a rugby fan. You'll make you feel a bit sick. And remind us how far
1: we've gone from the from the values that rugby is meant to embody. Yeah. Dan, thank you so much for chatting to us for so long. You've been absolutely fantastic. I like to think we're friends now and I've got a place to stay if I ever go to the Gold Coast. <laughs>
2: yeah,
3: <laughs> um, like two weeks quarantine and you won't have to wear masks. You'll be partying. Exactly. You'll you get to watch live rugby. Amazing. I was just at a stadium with 30,000 people in it last week. So, oh, yeah. my God. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's worse the water. So, yeah. But, uh, oh,
0: <laughs> as long as oh. you don't have Two
3: that two week, two week quarantine is doable as well so yeah. <laughs> think about it well, so yeah. Dan
1: you, you can't come Dan but mine are great no up, so I can't come fun. unfortunately I've got a six month old baby Dan
3: <laughs> oh jeez yeah nah, nah don't even think about it I did, yeah. I did quarantine here in Sydney with two boys six and two and jeez it's great now but <laughs> flip that nearly finished me off <laughs> i tell <told> you <laughs> oh my god uh,
2: fantastic well
3: thank you so much Dan cheers guys
2: really appreciate it
1: legend thank you so much Dan was so good talking to you A legend uh, Should we do the club matches
2: quickly? Yeah, go on, go on. What did you see, any? I saw only highlights. Can I just make a special mention about the Newcastle Falcons Argentinian centre, <sighs> whose name I can't remember. Carreras, isn't it? Unbelievable. Every time you watch him play, he, like, steps off both feet. He can run full pelt and then step at a right angle and then do that three times. Unbelievable. He's a sevens player. Unbelievable player. Incredible signing for them, Carreras. It is. It's Matt. I was right. My Carreras. God. Well done.
1: Oh my god, he's only twenty-one. Oh, he's got a big future for Argentina. I think that's the one. Talking about Newcastle, Bath. Bath beat them at away. Yeah, they smashed them. Kingston Park. Thirty-eight points. Yeah, but Bath are playing really well. It's it's like it's time for all the old teams to suddenly
2: be playing really well. I think this has definitely got something to do with the uh, no relegation. You know, I, I think it's. Um, I think it's like the shackles are London Irish, like up to whatever they are now.
1: They beat Worcester. London Irish beat Worcester. It was a very defensive performance by London Irish, but they did manage to win. Anyway, very quick. Bristol, Wasps are in trouble because they basically are missing key players. You see, this is the thing. They said Wales suddenly changed with about three players coming back. Wasps have lost Dan Robson, Launchbury, Jack Willis with his knee. Yes. And. That's what's really turned wasps into a really dodgy side.
2: And Archie
1: Barbary. Oh, but or is it Barbare? Oh, let's call. I think Barbary is a nicer pronunciation. Barbary. Bristol are the best side in the Premiership. Yes, they should win. It will be a crime if Bristol don't win the Premiership. But Exeter Quins. Quins up to 3rd and aren't they? Yeah, Quins are up to third, but they lost to Exeter, and Exeter one point. Exeter are the whales of the Premiership. Because they managed to get a result. Find a way to win. They don't believe they're beaten. They were 13, 14 points behind. 13, 27 behind to Quinns. Quinns were playing all the rugby. And to just come back and get the result. They didn't take the lead to the 75th minute. The Saracens used to have this when they just don't think they're going to lose. They just don't think they can lose the game. And I think that's what makes... I mean, it's going to be an Exeter-Bristol final. So I'm so angry with myself for making predictions Because I've been so wrong recently The part of my head's going, oh shut up, I'll be wrong But Exeter are always going to be there Even if on paper you would think Bristol would beat them I think, well, Bristol should be champions, Exeter might be Northampton are playing really well the- Northampton had an all-English team Did they? 15 players, everybody from England 12 had come through their academy Good servants I, l- I remember, what other club produces lots of England players And brings them through their academy? That would be Saracens <laughs> Anyway, so um, Gloucester...
2: <laughs> buys them houses. and. Anyway. They start,
1: shut up. They start off as little boys uh, and they get them, you know, little boys from Hertfordshire and North London and they turn them into, they end up at World Cups. Anyway, Gloucester-Leicester, yeah, Leicester won at King's Home, haven't won since 2016, and we covered everything else, didn't we? London, I, Leicester.
2: I just want to say about ring fencing of the Premiership, Right, There's the argument that rattles on about that. This is from um, the president of Breve Rugby, Simon Gillam. Mm-hmm. And he says, the idea of ring fencing is anathema to me. Is he a listener? Is he a listener? He's a listener to me, and, and he, he listened to this, and he sent this to me. Um, he said, the idea of ring fencing is anathema to me. I am the president of one of the biggest candidates for relegation of the top 14 every year, but I wouldn't change the promotion and relegation system for love or money because there is something to play for at every level. If we didn't have relegation, we wouldn't have anyone in our stadium after about February season. The one season we got well clear of the relegation area and weren't in the top six, our crowds dropped off in March and April. The season before, we had to beat Stade Francais in our last game to stay up and the place was full to the rafters. The whole week before, everyone in the town, all the shops and the restaurants put out black and white flags, everyone was a bravista and we won. That is another great memory. If it had been a dead rubber game, who gives a shit? That's very, that's that's a compelling argument. I think that's rubbish. Absolute rubbish. I do not believe... Coming from the president of a club. All oh, right, go on. Yes. No, but I just don't believe... How's, yeah. how's got it right?
1: Those are proper fans if they're just turning up to watch the key games. that uh, They might stay up or they might win or they might... Yeah. I would to watch it. Why did we watch England-France yesterday? There's nothing hanging on it for England. Why did lots of England fans watch it? Because you just love watching rugby. You love seeing your team perform.
2: And also because you know England are... They should be competitive and France are one of the best sides. So, you know, you you turn up because you know on our day we'll win that. Well, exactly. But that's where we used to watch rugby when I was growing up. I'd watch London Welsh play Swansea or Cardiff
1: or Rosslyn yeah, Park. we're like
2: rugby, rugby, rugby fans, right? He's talking about people that You know, maybe sort of come and go. We don't want those people. And you're saying you've got a problem with those people. (laughs) We don't want those people in our game. We only want (laughs) hardcore fans. Committed. Like lunatics. Yeah, Yeah.
1: okay. No, I mean, I don't believe in ring fencing anyway, so I don't know why I'm arguing with him, but I thought it would be interesting for me to say it's rubbish.
2: So, predictions for next week then, how?
1: Starting with Scotland, Italy. Scotland just aren't playing as well at home. So, I don't know. I'd like to say there'll be 20 points in it, and I don't think there will. I think Scotland have got some injury problems on paper. I I just don't know where Italy... I think you're right. I don't know where Italy go from here. I don't know how psychologically they get up for the game. Unless they fire their coach and bring in Sean Edwards this week. Mm, That's not going to happen this week. It's not going to happen this week because I'm sure there's clauses and things you can't get. So what do you reckon? I think Scotland will beat them by about 25 points. I don't like making predictions. I
2: I think 35. Should we
1: go Ireland-England next?
2: Yeah, Ireland-England. This will be a tight game, I think. But I think England coming off the back of their win against France, I think they'll win by 10. The thing is, how can you predict? I mean, we have finally become like
1: France. Are we going to do what we did after we beat New Zealand in that big emotional game? Well, you can't, but it's a bit of fun. I suspect it will be a four or five point game. The thing is, Ireland are coming to the boil. I know I'm so excited about everybody at the end of the Six Nations. They are looking good in key positions. They're going to be very canny and Irish and they're going to... I think they're gonna perform out of their skins and England might go there with lots of expectation. I think the Irish will be licking their lips at this. They will absolutely be going, Oh, England really are gonna all their fans are gonna go, it's over, the rubbish play is over, we're gonna go and throw it about at the Aviva and destroy Ireland. I wouldn't be at all surprised if England lose, but I always predict England lose. So I'm gonna say that they hang on and win by two. Blimey. Two points England win That's again. That's
2: the spirit, mate. That's the spirit. Good lad. France Wales. France Wales. Well this is the one, isn't it? I mean France Wales. Where is it? In Paris. Oh, that's tough. That's tough. That's tough. I think I think France will win. I think France will win by 5.
1: Yeah, I mean I know as soon as I back Wales they're going to lose. I just
2: I think Wales have been a bit
1: lucky this this year. Yes, but that's what it feels like, but it's not. It's the I know. way they're it evil. Is They've got a way. There's they're something sinister. they do. It's something... There's something they get into teams. They do... They're so canny. I know. I know. OK, a Frenchman's going to get sent off and they're going to win. Discipline. Discipline issues. I don't care anymore about predictions. I'm really bitter about being so wrong the whole time. There's going to be... A Frenchman gets sent... off. Let's name him. Which Frenchman's going to get sent off? <laughs> it'll, be a, it'll be a forward. It will be their captain, Olivon. <laughs> Olivon gets sent off. Olivon gets sent off. They lose leadership. Wow.
2: Wales win. That's an outrageous prediction. Wales win by 10. This is this a reaction to your predictions. You go, oh, I'm just going to predict something ridiculous. Yeah. Because I've been
1: so wrong. I'm angry with the way results went last week. It annoys me when I've got really good reasons for believing something and then it doesn't happen. Yeah. So I'm going to go for a Wales win by 10 after Olivon gets sent off. I think the French are going to sulk. They will go out there going we are going to sort everything today and we're going to take this Welsh team apart and I don't think this Welsh team is easy to dominate at all. They're going to end up having a grand slam and a and everybody will look around going, how did that happen?
2: <laughs>
1: and Mike Bobbins is going to be unbearable on Twitter. <laughs> So, yes, so that's Uh, why. uh,
2: I hope Wales do win the Grand Slam, if I'm honest. I hope they do. No, they've had loads of Grand Slams. Why should they have a Grand? They've had a Grand Slam in 2019, 2021.
1: When were the other ones? 2005, 2000 and... They've had six Grand Slams or something. We've had
2: one since 2000 in, like, 18 years. Yeah, they're underrated. They're underrated, the Welsh side. People just go, oh, they're lucky, or they get lucky, and all the rest of it, but... They got to the World Cup semi-final twice in a row. Exactly, with a team full of injured players, and let's not forget that. Yeah, no, there there is something. Yeah. This is
1: why I want them out the Six Nations because there's something I don't understand about them.
2: Yeah, no, they should be kicked out. I agree, <laughs> they should be thrown out the Six Nations <laughs> <laughs> for financial irregularity or some sort of like betting scandal. <laughs> <You> know, like... <laughs> yes exactly so um, controversial controversial
1: week that was yeah
2: yes but lovely to see you Dan please email us at rugbyjubbly at dltentertainment.com, twitter at jubbly rugby instagram at rugbyjubbly podcast so you can get in touch with us with any of those ways fantastic see you next week see you next week bye bye
3: only from rustolium
0: Market. Market.